Welcome, friends! I'm your host, Adrian, and yes, you found us, Tea with Puppets, a podcast about Canadian stamp collecting. Yeah! This is episode number 14, and today we'll be talking about a controversial figure who has been commemorated on two stamps and inspired an opera about his life. Get yourself cozy, and we'll be jumping right into it in just a moment. Hello friends, thanks for joining us. Today we'll be talking about the one and only Louis Riel. Just in time for Louis Riel Day, celebrated in Manitoba. An appropriate honor for the founder of that province. He also happens to appear on two stamps, one of which celebrates the opera that is life-inspired. But before we take a closer look at the stamps, let's learn more about the man, the myth, the icon, Louis Riel. Louis Riel was born in 1844 near modern Winnipeg, Manitoba, to Louis Riel Sr. and Julie Lagimodière. At the time, the area was known as the Red River Settlement, a community in Rupert's Land, which was administered by the Hudson Bay Company. Yes, the progenitor of the Hudson Bay, the store that you love and know so well. It was largely inhabited by the First Nations tribes and the Matisse, an ethnic group of mixed Cree, Ogjua, Saltu, French-Canadian, Scottish, and English descent. Now, there were issues in the area, but we're going to fast forward to 1867, where the crux of the issues begin for this whole story. The Dominion of Canada was formed that year, and its political leaders were looking at expanding to the vast area west of this new nation that had been built. At the same time, the Americans, who had just paid $7.2 million for Alaska, were looking for other properties to expand their republic. And why wouldn't they? I mean, Rupert's land was enormous. It encompassed almost 8 million square miles, including most of the prairies that we know today, and parts of what are now northern Quebec, northern Ontario, and Nunavut. Hudson Bay Company was in decline and was looking to sell. Now, Canada saw Rupert's land as a natural extension of its new nation, but the Hudson Bay Company was prepared to sell off the land to the Americans, who were ready and willing to pay top dollar. The British government interceded and made it clear it wanted the territory to be sold to Canada. On March 20th, 1869, the Hudson Bay Company, under this pressure from Great Britain, sold Rupert's land to the government of Canada for $1.5 million. The sale involved roughly a quarter of the continent, a staggering amount of land for a young nation to expand into. The main issue, though, was the purchase did not take into account the existing residents, mainly the Aboriginal and the Métis. This fact was not lost on Prime Minister John A. Macdonald at the time, who told political ally George Etienne Cartier, no explanation, it appears, has been made of the arrangements by which the country is to be handed over. All these poor people know is that Canada has bought the country from the Hudson Bay Company and that they are handed over like a flock of sheep to us. But Macdonald would soon discover, though, that they were far from sheep. The Royal Charter of 1670 granted to the Hudson Bay Company ignored the fact that the First Nations were already living and having sovereignty to the land. Furthermore, the Hudson Bay Company had not acquired from the Aboriginal communities their title to the land prior to their negotiations with Canada. This attitude continued to be held by the Canadian government that they had in fact possessed the land rights by their purchase. Now let's catch up to what Riel had been up to 
just before this period. Riel was educated by the Roman Catholic priests at St. Boniface. At the age of 13, he came to the attention of Alexandre Taché, the suffragan bishop of St. Boniface, who was eagerly promoting the priesthood for talented young Métis. In 1858, Taché arranged for Riel to attend the Petit Seminaire of the College de Montréal, under the direction of the Sulpician Order. When Riel's father died in 1864, he remained in Montreal living with his aunt, Lucy Riel. Impoverished by the death of his father, though, Riel took employment as a law clerk in the Montreal office of Rodolphe Laflamme, and eventually Riel found legal work unpleasant, and by early 1866, he had resolved to leave Canada East. He spent some time in Chicago, and for a time he was employed as a clerk in St. Paul, Minnesota, before returning to the Red River Settlement on July 26, 1868. Riel came back in time to see an influx of Anglophone Protestant settlers from Ontario, and adding to the mix were the ongoing negotiations for the transfer of Rupert's land from the Hudson Bay Company to Canada. The main issue, as noted earlier, was the Rupert Land Act had not addressed the political terms of transfer. So now we have set the table for what would become the Red River Rebellion. With the Rupert Land Act signed but had not come into effect, the Canadian Minister of Public Works, William McDougall, ordered a survey of the area. This was done in spite of warnings to the Macdonald government by Bishop Taché and the Hudson Bay Company's governor, William McTavish, that such an activity would precipitate unrest. The arrival on August 20th, 1869, of a survey party headed by Colonel John Stoughton Dennis caused a major increase in anxiety among the Métis. The Métis did not possess title to their land. Riel denounced the survey, and on October 11, 1869, the survey's work was disturbed by him and a group of Métis. On the 16th of October, several days later, this group organized itself as the Métis National Committee, with Riel as the secretary and John Bruce as president. Riel declared that any attempt by Canada to assume authority would be contested unless Ottawa had first negotiated terms with the Métis. Nevertheless, the non-bilingual McDougall was appointed the lieutenant governor designate and attempted to enter the settlement on the 2nd of November, 1869. McDougall's party was turned back near the Canada-U.S. border, and on that same day, the Métis, led by Riel, seized Fort Garry. Hearing of the unrest, Ottawa sent three emissaries to Red River, including the Hudson Bay Company representative Donald Alexander Smith. While they were en route, the Métis National Committee declared a provisional government on the 8th of December, with Riel becoming its president on December 27th. Eventually, a list of rights was presented to the Ottawa delegation, and Smith and Riel agreed to send representatives to Ottawa to engage in direct negotiations on that basis. The demands mainly consisted of the Métis wanting Red River to be entered into the Canadian Confederation as a province, security for their land claims, making English and French the official languages of the colony, as well as financial support for the Red River population. Despite progress on the political front, the Canadian Party, a group of passionately pro-Canadian individuals, had plotted against the provisional government. On February 17, 1870, 48 men, including Major Charles Bolton and Thomas Scott, were arrested near Fort Garry trying to overthrow Louis Riel's government. Bolton was tried by a tribunal headed by Ambroise Didim Lepine and sentenced to death for his interference with the provisional government. He was pardoned by Riel. However, Thomas Scott interpreted this as a weakness by the Métis, who he had regarded with open contempt. According to the historical records, it was documented that during Scott's captivity, Fellow prisoners had asked that he be removed due to his obnoxious behavior. He was eventually tried for insubordination, and following his trial, he was found guilty and was sentenced to death.
Riel was repeatedly entreated to commute his sentence, but Riel felt it necessary to demonstrate to the Canadians that the Métis must be taken seriously. He had already pardoned Bolton, which he noted was a fine fellow, but Scott, on the other hand, had been a real troublemaker for Riel and his provisional government. Scott was executed shortly after the trial. Protestant Canadians swore revenge for Scott, setting up the Canada First Movement to mobilize their anger. Now, in spite of the legal difficulties arising from this execution of Scott, delegates representing the provisional government departed for Ottawa in March, and they soon entered into direct talks with the Canadian government. An agreement enshrining the demands from Riel's list of rights was reached, and this formed the basis for the Manitoba Act of the 12th of May, 1870. This act formally admitted Manitoba into the Canadian Confederation. However, the negotiations did not secure amnesty for the provisional government. To ensure Canadian authority in the settlement and dissuading any American expansionists who would take advantage of any unrest, a Canadian military expedition under Colonel Garnett Wolseley was dispatched to Red River. Although the government described it as an errand of peace, Riel learned that there were those in the expedition who meant to lynch him. He fled to the United States as the expedition approached the Red River on the 20th of August, 1870. This marked the effective end of the Red River Rebellion. On the 2nd of September, 1870, a new lieutenant governor, Adam George Archibald, arrived and set about the establishment of civil government. When the first provincial election was held in December, 1870, the results were promising for Riel as many of his supporters came to power. Riel himself would be elected to the Canadian Parliament three times, Although he would never be able to take his seat, in spite of being struck from the rolls, Riel became a bit of a hero in Quebec for his defiance. He never had a chance to take his seat, but Riel did sign a register book at least once upon being elected while under disguise. In 1875, Alexander Mackenzie, recently in power after a scandal around the Canadian Pacific Railway had brought down Macdonald's government, granted amnesty for Louis Riel on the condition that he remain in exile for five years. During his time in exile, he was primarily concerned with religious rather than political matters. He also came to the belief that he was a divinely chosen leader of the Métis people. Some modern psychologists, based on his symptoms, believe Riel would begin to suffer with bouts of megalomania. Riel went to the United States and spent time in New York, and in 1881, he married Marguerite Monet de Bellumeur and became a U.S. citizen in 1883. In 1884, Riel married with his two young children, had settled down, and was teaching school at St. Peter's Jesuit Mission in Sun River District of Montana. Back in Canada following the Red River Rebellion, the Métis traveled west and settled in the Saskatchewan Valley, especially along the southern branch of the river in the country surrounding the St. Laurent Mission near modern St. Laurent de Grandin, Saskatchewan. By the 1880s, though, it became clear that the westward migration was no panacea for their troubles. Add to this the rapid collapse of the buffalo herd, which was causing near starvation and a reduction in government assistance from Ottawa. Many saw this as the government's failure to live up to its treaty obligations. On May 6th, a joint settlers' union meeting was attended by both Métis and English-speaking representatives who resolved to send a delegation to ask Louis Riel to assist in the presenting their grievances to the Canadian government. The head of the delegation to Riel would be Gabriel Dumas, a respected buffalo hunter and leader of the saint laurent Métis who had known Riel back in Manitoba. Riel was easily swayed to support their cause, partially due to a conviction that he was the divinely selected leader of the Métis. He also saw himself the prophet of a new form of Christianity. Riel also intended to use this new position of influence to pursue his own land claims in Manitoba. 
Inspired by Riel, representatives of the community set about drafting a petition and a manifesto detailing grievances and the settlers' objectives. This was sent on to Ottawa. On the 11th of February, 1885, a response to the petition was finally received. The government proposed to take a census of the Northwest Territories and to form a commission to investigate the grievances. Now, while some were happy about this, this angered a faction of the Métis who saw it merely as a delaying tactic. They favored taking up arms at once. Riel became leader of this faction. As he had done years earlier, Riel led a rebellion. In March 1885, the Provisional Government of Saskatchewan was declared at Batoche in March 19th, with Riel as the political spiritual leader and Gabriel Dumont taking charge of military affairs. Riel had counted on the Canadian government being unable to effectively respond to another uprising in the distant Northwest Territories, thereby forcing them to accept political negotiation. Unlike his 1870 rebellion, where it took three months for troops to arrive after Riel seized control, the expansion of the Canadian Pacific Railway was something new. Canadian regular and militia units arrived in less than two weeks after Riel had made his demands. Now, Gabriel Dumont knew he could not defeat the Canadian army in a direct confrontation. He hoped to force the Canadians to negotiate by engaging in a long, drawn-out campaign of guerrilla warfare. Riel, however, insisted on concentrating forces at Batoche. The outcome of this ensuing Battle of Batoche that took place from the 9th to the 12th of May 1885 was never in doubt, however. On the 15th of May, Riel surrendered to the Canadian forces. By early June, the rebellion was completely crushed. On July 28, 1885, a trial was convened for Riel in Regina. The jury consisted of six English and Scottish Protestants from the Regina area surrounding the city. Some historians believe it was held in Regina because of the concern that an ethnically mixed and sympathetic jury might have been too lenient on Riel. Riel delivered two long speeches during his trial defending his own actions and affirming the rights of the Métis people. He rejected his lawyer's attempt to argue that he was not guilty by reason of insanity. So in the end, the jury found him guilty, but they did recommend mercy. Judge Hugh Richardson ignored their recommendations and sentenced Riel to death. As one juror later stated, we tried Riel for treason, and he was hanged for the murder of Scott. Sir John A. Macdonald, once again the Prime Minister, upheld Riel's death sentence in spite of strong opposition from Quebec. Louis Riel was hanged for treason on the 16th of November, 1885, at the Northwest Mounted Police Barracks in Regina. So we're going to end the story of Riel here. But as you can see, Riel had a deep impact on early Canada. As a matter of fact, historians have debated the Riel case so often that he's easily the most written about person in all of Canadian history. I've tried my best to summarize his impact and his story, but there is certainly much more to learn about him. So for now, though, let's look at two stamps Canada Post has issued about him. The first stamp to honor Riel was issued on June 19, 1970, to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the apex of his career. The six-cent stamp was designed by Reinhard Dareth and uses a studio portrait of the young Louis Riel. The photograph was taken in Ottawa by photographer William James Topley when Riel was elected the Member of Parliament for Provence, Manitoba in 1873. When you look at the stamp, it's Louis Riel in big blue color on the front with a red background. It does a great job of recreating the photograph that was taken in 1873. Now, the second stamp to depict Riel, or rather his influence, was released this year to honor the Canadian opera dedicated to telling his story. This full-length opera was written for the 1967 Canadian Centennial. It is also arguably the most famous Canadian opera as well. The stamp is part of the Canadian Opera series, and it honors the Louis Riel Opera, which is being restaged in 2017 to mark its 50th anniversary. 
The stamp depicts two men on horseback with one of them flying the Metis flag featuring an infinity sign. Also, like all stamps issued this year for Canada's 150th anniversary, the words Canada 150 appear along the top of the stamp when they are viewed under blacklight. The stamp is available as part of the Canadian Opera series in a self-adhesive die-cut booklet of 10, and it is also available on a five-stamp souvenir sheet. We'll be talking about the opera stamps in a future episode, but I wouldn't wait to grab them. The five stamps really work much better together as a cohesive design. One final note on Louis Riel. If his story has piqued your interest, there's no shortage of things you can read. I'll list a couple of my favorites in the show notes. So that's it for the 14th episode. Thank you so much for spending time with me and sharing this show with your friends. The time you take to do this helps us get the word out, so we appreciate it immensely. If you're looking for more info about the show, make sure to check us out at teawithpuppets.com. To see the stamps we mentioned in this episode and more, click on the show notes image at the top right corner of our website or the link we've added to the description of this podcast. If you have any podcast feedback, ideas for guests, cool stories, or more, we'd love to hear it too. You can email us over at feedback at teawithpuppets.com. Finally, if you're on Facebook, make sure you like our page or follow us on Twitter at our handle, Tea with Puppets. Once again, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon for our next episode. Have a super rest of the day, and happy collecting!